Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, you're listening to Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim. And in this episode, we're talking where the crawdads sing, plus all the latest movie and trailer news. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies. And we're going to discuss where the crawdad sings this week, which tells the story of Kaya, an abandoned girl who raises herself to adulthood in the dangerous marshlands of North Carolina. Drawn to two young men from the prejudiced town, Kaya is immediately cast as the main suspect when one of them is found dead. Where the Crawdads Sing is directed by Olivia Newman from a screenplay by Lucy Alibar based on the novel by Delia Owens. Where the Crawdads Sing stars Daisy Edgar-Jones, Taylor John Smith, Harris Dickinson, Michael Hyatt, Sterling Mesa Jr., David Strathern, Garrett Dillahunt and Jojo Regina. Now, what I'm really looking forward to Mm. in this week's discussion is learning from you, Lee, your thoughts from the perspective of someone who's actually read the novel that it's based on, because I haven't read it. Yes, I devoured it in a week on holiday. It was a real page turner. Devoured it in a week. Wow. Gripped you? Yeah, yeah. It's a great book. Um, Well, it's a bestseller, a New York Times bestseller. It sold 12 million copies worldwide. People love it. They really do. The story's a harrowing one, Mm. but inspiring. It's about a young girl who... You know, she's abused and abandoned. She learns to survive in the wilderness of the marshlands all by herself from around seven years old. So that's, you know, cooking for herself, trying to just 
do everything to live, basically. Yeah, yeah, to survive. It's mm. a tale of survival, that's for sure. And the people of the town have ostracised her and they talk about her and she's this mysterious marsh girl character living yeah. in the wilds. Well, that's what they call her. She is marsh girl. Mm. People don't refer to her as her name. Yeah. So they don't even impart a sense of identity or belonging to her yeah. within their lives. They no. literally push her aside and call her marsh girl. It's really yeah. sad. It is really sad. And then there are two boys who become men that mm. she forms relationships with and, you know, as we said, she's accused of murder when one of them is found dead. Mm. I guess in terms of comparing the book to the movie, it's really hard to adapt a book for the screen. Just in general? Yeah. And this one in particular? Yeah, especially this one because it's so beloved and Mm. it has so many aspects to it. Like there's a murder mystery, Mm. there's a romance, there's an underdog story, all in this cinematic setting set mm. in the marshlands. The book is just so rich in detail, as you know most books are, and but it does jump around a lot in time. It's not linear, mm. and that's tough to play out on a film screen. Yes. Do you think they got that right, that balance right of those many things? Purely, my question comes from mm. the lens of comparing how it was contrived through written mm. word to visually. Do you yeah. think it, it worked? It's hard to simplify that, okay, because in the book, the mystery of how this young man, Chase, dies Mm. plays out at the same time as we learn who Kaya is throughout the years. Yes. Um, And there's a lot of years to cover. Yeah. 1953 to 1969. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot, well, even further, really, goes into when she's an old lady, pretty much. That's right. You're right. A lot about Kaya's central story was compacted for the film. You know, a lot of stuff that highlights just how isolated she is. So there's... In the book, there's a lot of interactions within the town and with the town's people that provide this tension at her trial later on Mm. when these people are actually on the jury. And you wouldn't really realise that in the film because the jury were faceless, nameless kind of people. Yeah, So they're they're actual characters in the book. You get to know them. Yes. So they they interact with her throughout the years. And it's the film minimises a lot of those people's roles. We're told in exposition about how they've treated her, but not really shown. Yeah. Look, I find that really interesting from a few places because one from like a criminal case, Mm. the jury aren't meant to know or have a connection or relationship with the defendant. That's actually a big, big no-no. That adds a real uh, additional layer of prejudice Mm. that the film clearly has just moved away from. Yeah, it's like a small town mentality. They all know each other's business. And another thing that's minimised in the film that's really a pivotal thing in the book is the racial tensions of the time. Mm -hmm. They're all but ignored in the film, I think. And, And a big part of the story in how she finds support while further highlighting the attitudes of the townsfolk, this mm. racial tensions of the time in the 1950s, 1960s, Jim Crow kind of era. Yeah. And also in the film, it begins with her arrest, which provides no context as to why we should care, why this woman was arrested. You know, it's quite dramatic beginning of the film. It yeah. hooks you right in. Well, she's driving in the car and people are like screaming profanities at her. Yeah. It's like, we don't know this girl yet. Why yes. do people hate her so much? I mean, it's a, it's a mysterious way to hook you in. Totally. It, it does. Yeah, it's effective. But it's a long while before we even meet the victim. Mm-hmm. And That's very true. Maybe it would have sort of made some context if you got a flashback or something, just like a yeah. brief flashback 
to show that they maybe knew each other, they liked each other. It's quite a while before you discover who Chase Andrews is. Yeah, maybe they could have made some plot device differences in how mm. to connect the dots with some of the characters and the relationships there is what I'm, what I'm getting from you in terms of comparing yeah. it to the book. But ultimately, if you look at it isolated as a film, mm. there are some pacing issues and some plot devices that it does – keep you on tender hooks to, to find more significance yeah. into what's going on, which can be detrimental to how you connect with the story yeah, I think this and is, how it starts to make sense. I think this is a really interesting episode for us yeah. because we're coming at it from two completely different points of view in that I've read the book and you haven't, so you're mm. seeing it purely as a standalone film. And yeah. I'm interested to know what you think Yeah, look, of the story overall. It all makes sense in some way and comes together mm. in the end, I guess. We, like we can't really talk too much about that because that that is like that that hook. The answers are really unknown, ambiguous for a long mm. time, and then boom, it all yeah. happens. Can I ask you? Yeah. The end of the film, which we won't spoil. Mm. Were you like <gasps> surprised? Because in the book, it's like wow, like this revelation is amazing. But in the film, it's kind of anticlimactic, I felt. But what yeah, did you think? That's a really good question. So this is how I'll answer it. I think in general, the film was just a little too long. Right. It okay. could have benefited from maybe like 15 mins trimmed for it just to help mm. with it, some of its pacing issues. Having said that, right, to answer your question, I was jolted by the rapid pace at which the final five minutes played out. Right. And like you said, that that plays out a little softer and slower in the book mm. because it didn't actually impact me. I was more reacting to the fact that all of a sudden all these crazy amounts of time are passing. Yeah. And then it gives you the sort of answer, gives you this sort of mystery solved or whatever, and it didn't impact me as much as I thought it might have. Yeah. Yeah. You talk about pacing issues, but I think for me it was that there wasn't enough put in there. But that's mm. the problem that you have when you're adapting a book for the screen. You can't put everything in. It's just no. impossible. You have to pick and choose the elements that you put in. And a lot of things have been compacted, like Mabel and Jumping, who are the, the African-American people who help Kaya. Who I adored as characters. Yes. Their kindness was just beautiful. A lot of the townspeople's stuff, or the good townspeople's mm. stuff, because there is a little bit, has been put into Mabel. Right. So you don't meet those townsfolk. It's okay. it's just all been put into this character of Mabel, which is, you know, fine and it's a mm. good choice to make. It's just, as I said, it takes away some of that tension mm. building up and the extra layers that are there. I think also Daisy Edgar-Jones, who's a fantastic actress, also plays Kaya from her teen years into her 20s and beyond. Mm -hmm. And I don't think enough was done to highlight just how young she was when she had her first sexual experience, for example. Right. Like during that scene, how old would you say she was? I actually don't know how to answer that question mm. because I, I, I couldn't tell you how old I thought mm. she was. Was she early 20s? Maybe? No, no, no. See, in the book, she's, she? she's a young teenager and oh. that's the reason he turns her down because he doesn't want to take advantage of her. Tate is like a lovely character. Beautiful character. And he cares about her deeply and he loves her and he's attracted to her, but mm. also he doesn't want to take advantage of her. And right. I don't think that was clear in that scene. No, no, that's a really good point. I, I mean, they do help you along with the, the periods of time, 53, then we come mm, back in yeah. 59, like they give you. But at the same time, Daisy Edgar-Jones looks the same the <laughs> whole time. So it is hard to position her yeah. as age appropriate. 
when things happen to her, that is a challenge that she had to face. It's just a little nuance yeah, to the characters. It's important that you that you don't really get. Yeah, that you get in the book, and yeah, they do things with the costumes and the hair, and it's just very slight and stuff. But yeah, it's it's you don't get that impact. And maybe they might have had a teenage actress to play her. It might have been better. I I don't know. I mean, I wonder how that would have played out because we've also we've obviously got Jojo Regina, who we'll talk oh, about later, yes. as the young Kaya. Stunning, stunning little actress. Mm. And then Daisy Edgar Jones takes over from unknown age, yeah. mid, mid-teens, let's just say. I wonder whether it would have added to more of their issue in connecting with the story itself if they brought in a third actress to bridge mm. that gap. It could have been a little confusing, but you think, there have yeah. been very successful films that have done that to mm. great effect. So maybe that's something they could have considered. See what I mean, though? It's such a tricky line to walk when yeah, you're adapting really a book like this, and especially one that jumps through so many mm. periods of time. Mm. It, it really is tricky to fit it all in. Yeah. One thing I want to highlight as well, okay, this is a stranger than fiction twist. Oh, my God. Yes, I was hoping we were going yes. to talk about this. So there's been some renewed controversies surrounding the author, Delia Owens, mm. who is actually wanted for questioning in Zambia over the televised death of an alleged poacher in the mid-90s. At the time, Owens and her husband and son were working as conservationists to protect vulnerable wildlife when an American ABC documentary crew captured the shooting death on film. Like, how crazy is that? That is crazy. And there are very coincidental synergies between that story and this one, let's just say, Mm. which just adds some (laughs) added layer of mystery and intrigue to the whole thing, right? It's like how to get away with murder and then you wrote a book about it. Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, You know, allegedly. Allegedly. That's right. Yeah. Owens was a wildlife scientist. So that in itself injects such incredible detail into Mm. the nature of that's featured in the book. The Marsh is such a huge character in this story. And it's also kind of a parallel allegory for Kaya's journey, you Mm. know, and that detail is brought to life in just a gorgeous way on screen. Her connection to nature is so important. And how do you think they brought that to the screen? Well, just to add on that, you were saying that Owens was a wildlife scientist. Mm. She says that her whole life led to this story. And I quote, the inspiration behind my book started when I was a child. I grew up in the woods, real wood, mm. she says. When I was very young, my mother would encourage me to go out into the woods and she wanted me to go as far as we could. See, this is the parallels between mm. Owen's life and Kaya's life and how that is realised from that real life, tangible experience of mm. Owen's and how that's translated on the screen uh, through the direction of Olivia Newman and her team mm. is simply stunning. It is gorgeous. Really, really gorgeous. There's some blue screen bits in there, which I thought were a little obvious. Yeah. But there's some parts of the nature and the way mm. the wind moves and things like that and sunsets that you probably couldn't have caught naturally. But they do stand out a little bit. They do. They're somewhat forgivable and it's hard for me to forgive those things because the tapestry that they have and they leverage so perfectly Mm. for 99% of the film, when they then depart from that way of Mm. capturing and telling the story, it's like, oh, really? Did you have to do it that way? The one thing that had me nervous straight out of the gate, and Mm. I was luckily put at ease because, as I said, 99% of this movie is visually like stunning mm. was the opening shots where you first introduced to the marshland. Yeah. Stunning cinematography. But the damn bird was one of the worst CGI birds I'd ever yeah. seen. And that was very distracting for me. And I wonder why why they did that. Yep. And two, couldn't they make it better? 
Yeah. The thing is, in the books, the birds especially are a huge part of her Mm. story and it's not so much in the film. That's one of the Mm. things that doesn't come across from the book and I think fans might miss it. Uh, She has this great relationship with the birds. Whenever she has a challenge or she's struggling, she goes to the beach and she feeds these birds and they interact with her. And that would have been really hard to make happen. But There's also this really great sequence in the book where she's so angry and Mm. she's raging and she's so upset and she goes out in her boat onto the sea further than she's ever gone before and there's a storm happening and she's battling the sea and she's never done this before. and Manifests her rage. Yes, it's that great parallel that that runs through the book with nature and Kaya Um, and they didn't have that in the film either, which would have been really exciting to see. I mean, we see some layers of passion and emotion behind mm. her in her performance, but that that seems like a really crucial scene that was not introduced into the film that would have added something. It, it would have been really hard to pull off though, I okay. imagine, because yeah. it's all about her getting through her rage and she battles the seas and she you know nearly drowns and she's trying to struggle with the oh, boat right. and then she gets through it to this beautiful part of a beach that she's never seen before mm-hmm. and she just kind of collapses on the sand and that's her getting through her grief. I think it happens when Tate leaves her. Okay. And it's just it's a great sequence in the book and it's so well told. I would have loved to have seen it on the screen, but it's just so hard to pull off technically, I think. You know, I completely agree, but I wish they'd given it a red hot crack all the same. <laughs> you know, I freaking love this episode because you are unearthing so many more insights into the story and the character that mm. I obviously have no insight in. Yeah. Going back to the birds, yeah. because there was, I don't know what a crawdad is still. <laughs> Do they sing? Did it, did there, Was there singing of craw, crawdaddies in the movie? I'm no. lost on the significance <laughs> okay. of that. It's Can you an ex- explain. <laughs> it's it's an expression. I okay. think it's it's something her mother used to say. Go out and play beyond the woods where the crawdads sing. Okay, and it's just like a mythical place that just means explore, go further than your comfort zone. Okay, that's, well, that's kind lovely. of kind of what it means. Yeah, that's lovely. And you know, now understanding that, <laughs> thank <laughs> yes. you, Lee. It adds another layer of connection for me in the story. Yeah, but should have I had that and realized that connection right after seeing the film? Maybe that would have helped. But here we are now and yeah. I appreciate it. It's kind of a metaphor, I guess. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think there sense. I think there is a crawdad, but I couldn't tell you what All right, it is. so they're a real I animal. Think so, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, noted. Yeah. Lee, let's talk about Olivia Newman, yeah. the director behind this film. Uh, how did you connect with her direction? Well, apart from a Netflix film called First Match, mm. this is Newman's first major motion picture as a director. And it was filmed during a pandemic, mm. which is an incredible achievement in itself. I'm always in awe. Like 90% of the films we're reviewing right now have all been filmed yeah. during a pandemic. It's an ongoing red thread we have in, mm. in our episodes where we just admire filmmakers and creatives that yes. get the job done against so many obstacles. And, I mean, the obstacles of filming on location are impossible yes. sometimes. To throw a pandemic in there yeah, and for arguably almost a first-time director mm. to pull that off and lead a team is mm. admirable. So I was lucky enough to speak to Olivia Newman about making this film yeah. and you can check that out on all good podcast platforms and our YouTube channel soon. And one thing she talked about was how difficult it is filming on boats and stuff because you've got, you know, the director on one boat, the camera crew on another one all the other people that you need to pull off this shot on different boats and you need to keep everyone still so the wake doesn't like knock everything around and it's just the technical aspects of it is just mind-blowing. That's why filmmakers say never work with children, animals 
or on water. <laughs> yeah. You know, there are notorious experiences, Titanic, Jaws, mm. Waterworld, the list goes on, films that are very expensive films that are filmed on water and they're, they're yeah. challenges that you cannot control. So amazing that they pulled it off so effectively here. Yeah. And one thing I really love, and I hate that it's even a thing to point out, is that the creative team behind the film is predominantly female. Yeah. From director to the heads of departments and all that kind of stuff and she said it wasn't a conscious choice and Newman said it wasn't a conscious choice. They all just happened to be the best for the job, which is the way it should be. And that's the role of the director, to find the heads yeah. of that can connect with the story and her vision yeah. and to portray it authentically. Yeah. And it just happened to be women. Yes. I freaking love that. Yes, but it's still great to see. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And talking about that, I, you can tell it in your conversation with Olivia, especially mm. but then on screen how it's translated, that there's a great passion around telling the story authentically as well mm. through her direction. She's so aware of the immense responsibility of the adaptation mm. and there's a great cohesion between what she's trying to say visually and then her direction with the actors too. Mm. And the dialogue is actually quite close to the book. Mm. So even those things in the story have been changed or compacted, fans of the book will get a kick out of recognising specific lines, I think. Did, did some of them jump out at you that you recognise, if you um, recall? There's a really beautiful one where Kaya is learning to read and she says, I didn't know words could hold so much. Yeah, that is or a beautiful something like line. that, yeah. That is a beautiful line. I'd noted a few down. Mm-hmm. A swamp knows a lot about death, really uh, mm. screamed out to me. The only constant in nature is change. Yes. And then probably this is my favourite. I don't think there is a dark side to nature, just inventive ways to endure against all odds. Yes. Really poignant poetic words. Yeah. Speaking of Daisy Edgar-Jones, she's just a joy to watch on screen. Um, She's got Kaya's spirit and determination, but also her vulnerability. Mm. She's a real heroine to get behind and sympathise with. She has suffered at the hands of of abuse, abandonment. Kaya, not Daisy Edgar-Jones. Yes. Well, I mean, can't speak for her. Can't speak for her. I hope not. Thank you for clarifying. (laughs) But also deep-seated prejudice from the townspeople, which we've already touched on. And I found that really hard to accept because I just cannot fathom how adults would ignore and not care for a knowingly Mm. abandoned child in the wilderness. And I think that's the problem that you don't see enough of that on screen to get that sense. I found it really, really uncomfortable. Yeah. Because – I mean, I understood that her mother left because she was being physically abused Mm. by uh, her husband, the father, Mm. which is really challenging to watch. But then when all her siblings just get up and go, Mm. I thought, do they realise they're leaving a seven-year-old behind? With an abusive alcoholic? With an abusive alcoholic? alcoholic? Yeah. Like, does it make more sense in the book? Why they're all leaving and leave and choose no, to leave her? No, they all kind of just have okay. to get out. Right. I mean, yeah. and I totally understand. I, I totally can empathise with that. I cannot. Mm. I cannot imagine. But the brother plays a bigger part in the book as well. Okay. Right. He does in the movie, but not yeah, really. Not as much. Yeah. yeah. Daisy Edgar Jones's uh, North Carolina mid-century accent is pretty good too, because she's mm. a Londoner. Yes, and Reese Witherspoon has said she was. Very impressed with the accent. Yes. She's usually quite judgmental on southern accents. So, yes. hey, tick of approval from producer Reese Witherspoon. That's not bad. Well, yeah, I was going to say we should yeah. clarify that Reese Witherspoon yeah. is a producer. She's just not, not an expert. She's not an expert on southern accents. <laughs> Although she might be. She might be. We might be on her CV. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Okay, we've got to talk about JoJo Regina. Yes. Uh, she is a revelation 
as little Kaya. Mm. Absolutely spectacular performance from a 10-year-old. She turned 10 while they were filming this production. That's just mind-blowing. She carries as much weight and the responsibility of revealing the character and the experiences of Kaya as much as Daisy does. Mm. You really sense the the vulnerability between them two. There's a great synergy between how they portray Kaya at different ages of yeah. her life. That strength, it, they, they both beautifully mm. portrayed. Jojo is one to watch. Like, yes. like you said, she, yes. she is a rising star. For sure. There are so many great child actors coming on the scene at the moment. Mm. Bloody hell. Like we've talked about a lot recently. Yeah. Um, there's one that uh, you haven't seen yet the, in The Black Phone. You haven't seen yeah, yet. Yeah, you haven't seen The Black Phone, but there's an actress in there, uh, mm. Madeline McGraw, I think her name is. And yeah. Jesus, she's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Anyway, back to this film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor John Smith, who has starred in Shadow in the Cloud, is the Tate of the book. Right. He is absolutely spot on. Yeah, that's nice to hear. Yeah, really, really great casting there. Tate is this sweet, caring boy who teaches Kaya how to read. So instead of, you know, trying to change her, Mm. he gives her the tools to survive. Yeah. And lets her be herself, which is just beautiful. I found him so kind, so gentle, and just full of compassion. Yeah. More male characters in films like this, please. Yes. Obviously, he fucks up yes. he's not perfect he lets his insecurities get the better of him yeah but i think through the performance and how his character is written specifically you understood mm. and you i guess i did as a viewer yes. forgive him and that's hard to get the audience mm. to be so invested in who you are mm. and how you treat someone you abandon them and then you come back yeah. and prove your worth that that's no mean feat how did you enjoy the way their relationship Uh, evolved on screen. I thought it was really cute. Because in the book, there's a lot more of it. He's always there throughout her whole life. Right. I don't know if you get that through the whole film. Well, they meet as children and then a significant time passes. So Yeah, no, he's kind of always around. Always around. Okay. So that's lacking from the film. She sees him a lot. Right. But Mm -hmm. I I liked how it developed in the movie. I believed them as... As lovers, I did. And then you've got Harris Dickinson, who we've seen in The King's Man Mm. recently and a few other films. Very different role here. Yeah, he's the privileged white boy who (laughs) has this fascination with Kaya. Mm. I want to say he loves her. I'm not sure he does. He does in his own way, I guess. Mm. Um, And he's the one that ends up murdered. I always felt unsettled watching him in the film, which I found was really great because there was always an underlying question of his character and his intention Mm. that Harris brought to screen Mm. really well. And when you juxtapose him with Tate, Mm. where you you settle into this kindness, compassion and gentleness Mm. that we've talked about, and then Harris comes in, it's just you get the ick, don't you? Yeah. It's pretty powerful. Yeah. The one thing that Harris also brings to the role is – Another layer to Chase that, you know, he's, he's pretty deplorable mm. as, as a character. He's a bit gross. Yeah, you don't really like him. But he brings this other layer that makes you think, oh, he's a product of his circumstances as well. Like growing up with yep. a rich, privileged family, mm. a prejudiced family. Like what kind of chance did he have? You can't not to forgive no. the way he is. But, yeah, you can kind of see that he's just a bit of an arrogant ass. <laughs> and, and they do touch on that. A little bit, but again, with certain characters and situations that justify the means, mm. they could have put more meat on the bones there just to round out the experiences and the what mm. the town was like, the people. Yeah. I mean, sorry, just to jump back, like when you referenced that there lacked racial injustice in the film compared to the book, mm. knowing that that was in the book and not explored here, that's a really big hole that I wish that was included. Yeah. Because it would have also elevated the characters of Mabel and Jumpin'. Mm in their connection with Kaya. 
Yeah. Because they were the only ones really that showed her yes. kindness. But also they couldn't interfere with her life too much because no. can you imagine if black people of the time inserted themselves into a little white girl's life? That's very true. That would offend some sensibilities yeah. too. So they were there and they helped her as much as they could, mm. but she was very much on her own. Yeah, she was. Gosh, poor But they had similar similarities in their journeys and the way the townspeople treated them. Yeah, they did. And that's explored a lot more in the book too. Right. It's, it's really hard to get all this stuff. Yes. There's so many layers to this book and it's really hard to put it all on the screen yeah. in a two-hour movie or have along this movie was. Okay, so we've already touched on these sorts of things throughout the episode, but let's mm. dive a little deeper in the sets and locations of this gorgeous-looking mm. film. There's such incredible detail in the main set, which is the rundown shack that mm. Kaya lives in. Uh, the production designed by Sue Chan, absolutely incredible. Mm. So that shack in the marshlands was actually constructed inside and out. Yes. In situ behind this historical property called Otis House in Louisiana. And everything down to the shingles on the roof was sourced to be authentic to the time and accurate. And mm. that's just amazing. The fact that the interiors were not realised on a soundstage is amazing. Yeah. Like challenging to say the least, but it makes such a difference. Yeah. And the changes to the shack that uh, undergo throughout the story, they're just really beautiful details that show the passage of time mm. and how Kaya develops more skills, the comings and goings mm. of characters and how what the sort of world that she's creating for herself mm. is so beautifully done. The The set design, production design is stunning yeah. in this movie. It really is gorgeous. Yeah, just wait till you see it on screen. I think it's, it's very mesmerising. Mm. And they filmed in New Orleans in... Uh, Louisiana. New Orleans. New Orleans. I wonder what Reese Witherspoon would say about that accent. uh, I think she would approve. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Sure. And I'm just like bobbing my head. Sure. (laughs) All right, Lee, what do you think? Should we wrap up and rate our take on Where the Crawdads Sing? Yes. Well, Where the Crawdads Sing will resonate as a story of survival and hope, showing that the beauty and danger of nature are inextricably linked. For diehard fans of the book, some aspects may fall short because it's been simplified and distilled for the screen, thus removing a lot of the nuances and tensions that make the book such a page-turner. You know, whether that's forgivable or not is just entirely subjective, but I'm giving Where the Crawdads Sing two and a half popcorn kernels out of five. I really enjoyed this movie. I appreciated everything that went into bringing it together faithfully for fans of the beloved book and in realising the importance to authentically represent Kaya's world and connection to nature. Despite some pacing issues and plot devices that needed some polishing here and there, there is much to learn from this story of survival around resilience, hope, human connection and the power of nature. I'm going to rate Where the Crawdads Sing three popcorn kernels out of five. There you go. Where the Crawdads Sing is in Australian cinemas from July 21st. And make sure you keep your eyes and ears peeled for our interview with director Olivia Newman for more behind the scenes insights into the making of Where the Crawdads Sing. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. All right, Tim, jumping into the news for this episode. This piece of news is both surprising and unsurprising mm-hmm. with Miles Teller revealing that he and Tom Cruise have been talking about a Top Gun 3. So Top Gun Maverick has absolutely yeah. dominated the global box office and most recently, get this, this is absolutely wild, overtaking Titanic as Paramount Pictures' highest grossing film in the US. So, okay. What are your thoughts on this? Surprising, unsurprising. Should the story of Maverick continue or should it be left alone? I'm torn, right? Because <laughs> it, it was, was so fucking good. It was so good. But I mean, just by the law of diminishing averages, it's not mm. going to be as good if you go back again so soon. But, you know, we don't, Tom Cruise doesn't have 30 years in him to wait for 36. We waited 36. <laughs> I don't think, what, do we have 36 years? <laughs> no, I don't know. I hope so. Yes, I like, no, I feel like it was such a moment in time mm. and it should be left alone. But, yep. you know, these days we can't, the Hollywood machine can't leave things alone. I'm going to make a definitive call. Yeah. I don't want Top Gun 3. No, okay. Because Top Gun is so good. Top Gun Maverick is even better. Mm. It closes the story. It's like what what else is left emotionally to no. weave in? Yeah. It would just be another ad- quote unquote adventure. I, it wouldn't have the same impact. I guess maybe it would continue Rooster's yeah. story, yeah, I can Miles see Teller's that. character. Yeah. Um, and I could be interested in that. But does he have the same? Does that character have the same resonance as Maverick? Like, would do people desperately need to see what happens with mm. Rooster? I don't know. I, I liked him, loved him even. Yes. I don't think Maverick gave us enough of the other recruits to mm. be invested in continuing their story. So we'd have to get another lot of characters. I don't know. I suppose. Who knows? I anyway, know. watch this space. We'll, we'll see what happens. Mm. I mean, Cruise is just a little busy tied up making I know. A, a, a Mission Impossible 8 at the moment. Yeah. So only time will tell. Now, an Amy Winehouse biopic is in the works, helmed by Sam Taylor-Johnson, who brought us such films as Nowhere Boy and Fifty Shades of Grey. A bit of an interesting filmography, Mm. to say the least. So, the film will be titled Back to Black, and we'll look at the life and music of six-time Grammy Award winner uh, Amy Winehouse, who died, sadly, at the age of 27 from alcohol poisoning. So, it has been made with the backing of the Amy Winehouse estate, and a casting call will commence soon to find the actor to tackle the role of Winehouse. Big role. You know, I'm not very excited about this because Mm. there is already a seminal Oscar-winning documentary about Winehouse's life Mm. from filmmaker Asif Kapadia called Amy that is just phenomenal. I haven't seen it. You you have to see it, Tim. I know. You do. It tells the story perfectly. I encourage you to check it out. And also the fact that her estate is approving it doesn't mean shit to me because Mm. her estate, you know, quote-unquote family, Mm. is a large part of why she – went down the path that she went yeah, down. Yeah, why you know, she had so not, many demons. Not entirely mm. their fault, you know, uh, mental health and, and chemical imbalances and addiction and all that kind of stuff come yeah. into it. But she was driven into the ground when she needed help. Yes. And so the fact that they're capitalising on her life with a film just makes me a little bit angry. Yeah. Um, I'm not keen to see it. Okay. So much so that you would choose not to see it? Or is that an unfair question? <sighs> Look, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I just don't think it needs to be made. I think a lot of my feelings around this will be determined by the actor who is cast as Amy. Yeah. To know that it's an actor who 
gosh, they got a, the, the her voice mm-hmm. well, is unmistakable. You know exactly mm-hmm. who it is when when she sings. So that's going to be hard for any actor to take on. Yeah. So I just hope they get the casting right. That might make me settle into yeah. this a little better, but that's just for me. Go and watch the documentary, Amy, and then tell me how you feel about it. That's a call to me and <laughs> you listening. Yes. So yes, Lee, I will do. And now Taron Egerton has said that he met with Marvel about playing Wolverine in a potential X-Men MCU outing, telling the New York Times, I'd be excited, but I'd be apprehensive as well because Hugh Jackman is so associated with the role that I'd wonder if it would be very difficult for someone else to do it. Mm. Absolutely would be, Jesus. (laughs) Um, But hopefully if it does come around, they'll give me a shot. Do you know what? I can see this. Me too. I can see this. He's been long rumoured as well. Egerton is incredibly fucking talented. Yes. So if if anyone was going to take over the Wolverine mantle from Hugh Jackman, I'd be Mm. happy if it was him. And I love that he's manifesting the shit out of this. (laughs) Because there's been growing talk recently of the mutants being folded into the MCU in some way now that Disney owns both Marvel and 20th Century Fox, known as 20th Century Studios now. And especially after, and spoiler alert, if you want to skip 15 (laughs) seconds ahead, go for it now, Professor X showed up in the Multiverse of Madness and there was a big revelation at the end of Miss Marvel uh, series, which is just wrapped up on Disney+. Plus. Yes, which makes us think that the mutants are coming in soonish. And we've also got... uh, Comic-Con happening very soon. Oh, yeah. Um, and Marvel is going to make some big announcements there. So. Well, you know, they originally didn't have a panel and no. then last minute they jumped on. So I yeah. guess they – I think they've got some work to do. We've talked about this at Nauseam, especially in our most recent episode for Thor Love and Thunder, yes. that Phase 4 is a bit of a hot mess, a bit of an <laughs> alphabetic soup that doesn't spell anything other than gibberish. Yes. So hopefully they're going to clarify some things on this MCU panel without spoiling but just offering some yeah. bit of guidance, bit of comfort. Like – Trust in us, it's going somewhere. Yeah, and I want to trust them, and I do. I just don't at the moment. But when you think about it, there was three phases leading up to the massive Avengers Mm -hmm. whole thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, phase four might not be going anywhere just yet. But it's all (laughs) leading up to, you know, wait another three phases and we might get the big bad. But the thing is, we have just reached 100 hours of content in phase four across the films and the TV series. Yeah, Phase one and two were just shy of 13 hours each. And then phase three was about 20-something hours. So I think I may have those numbers slightly wrong. Yeah. But, I mean, 100 hours, <laughs> Christ almighty. If you're telling me we mightn't get any direction in phase four <laughs> after 100 hours, then there's something wrong with that. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up with this piece of news, Lee. Yeah, so Jamie Lee Curtis has dropped the cryptic date of July 20 on her social media. So it seems as though we'll be getting a Halloween Ends trailer very soon. So the conclusion to David Gordon Green's Halloween horror trilogy will pit Laurie Strode against Michael Myers for the final time and is expected in Australian cinemas on October 13 at this stage. Yes. While you're eagerly awaiting the trailer, though, don't forget to watch Popcorn Podcast's interviews with the Scream Queen herself, Jamie Lee Curtis. So exciting. (laughs) As well as other cast and filmmakers from the Halloween franchise over on our YouTube channel now. Absolutely. All right, guys, I think that about wraps it up for another jam-packed episode of Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim. We reviewed Where the Crawdads Sing. Yes, and you can see that one in Australian cinemas from July 21st. And don't forget to check out our interview with Olivia Newman. Very, very soon. All right, guys, as always, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. If you enjoy our episodes, head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe. While you're there, we would love you to rate us and leave a review. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Alexa, and where all good podcasts are found.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.